I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and many of those stories were repeated. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could just, I could speak the story for you. Like there's no point, but there are those, there are those moments and those sayings that I was like, you know, I get it. And so like one of the things my grandfather used to say is, if you will not hear me, you will feel. Now, in the moment, I thought that meant I was getting a whooping because it we, we, we had those days. But what I've witnessed in life is I was like, oh, if you're not listening for guidance, <laughs> you will definitely move through an experience that has you feel the things that you would not listen to. I was like, oh. That's Annalisa Valerie. She is a holistic wellness coach, a singer and an artist, a court-appointed special advocate for teens and youth in the L.A. County foster care system, and the founder of Causing Legacy, which is a newly born organization dedicated to creating legacy by facilitating experiences that honor elders' wisdom and share knowledge with future generations. Causing Legacy's mission is to transform the way teens and youth of color are cared for by the community by providing tools and resources to heal, guidance to navigate the inner journey, and support them discovering who they are in the world. So I asked Annalisa to come on the podcast because when I heard her talk about supporting BIPOC or Black, Indigenous, and People of Color youth in connecting with their elders... I immediately recognized that as one of the pieces that I see as crucial to cultivating a life-sustaining society. So in this conversation, we speak less, maybe not at all, about the ecological crisis directly, but more about what it takes to have a life-sustaining society. And I firmly believe it takes this kind of heart that you'll hear from Annalisa It takes intergenerational connection. It takes recognition and connection with our ancestry. So as you listen, I invite you to think about your relationships with the people older than you and the people younger than you, the people who are still alive, who are in generations prior to yours, and also your ancestors, as well as the people who are alive now in younger generations and the ones yet to come, the future beings. And feel into how you feel connected and how maybe you don't feel connected in both of these directions in time. I'm in a program right now called Singing the Bones, which is hosted by Lydia Violet, who's a longtime mentee of Joanna Macy in facilitating the work that reconnects and a musician. And she's Uh, co-hosting this program with Leah Song of Rising Appalachia. And this program is all about looking into our own ancestry, one line of our own ancestry for songs, for music and folk tales and instruments. And wow, it has been such a rich and fun experience for me. So this is really on my mind right now as something that I didn't recognize before as having such a role in a healthy culture, a life-sustaining culture, that connection to our legacy. So I'm really excited to be connecting with Annalisa about this and also to connect with you after you listen and hear what you think about all of this. So I hope you enjoy hanging out with me and Annalisa, hearing some of her grandparents' words, hearing about her work as a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate for the teens and youth that she has supported. And there's even a mention of dreams because she too, like me, if you listened to one of my final episodes of the Dreamer's Den series, connect with this sense of ancestry and what's moving through us through dreams. You're listening to Turning Season Podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navarre here with your dedicated dose of active hope. I'm delighted to bring you these conversations with the inspired individuals who are collectively shifting us to a life-sustaining society. You'll hear from all kinds of healers and change makers playing their unique part in the great turning. 
from healing personal trauma to visionary thinking, decolonization to building composting toilets, new innovations to bridging social divides, there are thousands of reasons and ways to participate. Keep listening to find out more of what's being done already and what's possible. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and come to turningseason.com to connect. Welcome, Annalisa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. It is definitely a pleasure and an honor. Can I ask you first a question about your own heart and what, what leads you to where you, where you are right now? And that question would be, what are some things you love about being alive on earth? Mm, I love the opportunity to connect with the simple things Um, and really taking and experiencing the magic of the simple things. And so that could be slowly walking a hiking trail and taking notice of all of the um, animals and plants and trees Um, and even like how um, harvesting sage um, as I was just filling filling a cup that I keep on or a pot that I keep on my altar. Um, so taking off the leaves from the sage branches and just having that in a cup for me to pull from whenever need be. Um, just it's the simple things and and the magic and the delight in those simple experiences. Beautiful. I love that because I feel like those things can fill us up so much. Those, when we're really there, like you said, slowing down. Mm-hmm. for things and really letting them be as magical as they are. My second question is, you know, kind of on the other side, but all part of one whole. When you look around at what's happening in our society and in the natural world, what breaks your heart about what's happening on earth? The forgotten or the out of sight, out of mind. So for me, I think about the children um, being held at the borders. I think about the families who are seeking refuge in this country. yet being treated like they're less than human. Mm -hmm. I think about the, how the elders sometimes feel forgotten. And in total honesty, I sometimes do forget because I get so wrapped up in what is happening in my life. And so remembering to slow down, to pause and to check in, Mm -hmm. check in with my elders and the pain. I don't know if it's so much pain, it may be hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so much hurt. Um, And the more that gets revealed in this space and time is what has been lurking in the shadows and in the darkness is coming to light. It's just opening or even reopening wounds from past years and and history. It's both It's both painful and an opportunity, painful to really witness the depth and breadth of all that this, all that the people of this country have moved through. And when I say people, 
I'm specifically referring to BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, mm-hmm. have moved through and all that is still to be and the opportunity to really heal those spaces, to allow those painful memories, whether it be our conscious memories or our energetic genetic memories. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity for us to process and clear and heal and create newly for future generations. Yes. Mm -hmm. It feels like everything you're saying there sort of swirls around this idea of forgetting and remembering. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you first said what breaks your heart is the forgotten, you know, I felt that I felt that in my body. Yes. Oh my gosh. All the things and the people and the beings that we forget that we ignore, but, and yet, as you talk about these genetic memories and energetic imprints and hidden pieces of history, none of it's really ever forgotten. Mm-hmm. But how much can we uncover it and unveil it for healing and for remembering? Absolutely. Like the, 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 the energetic genetic memories that have come up to be cleared. And in total honesty, it freaked me out Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh and as I sat with it more I got that those aren't necessarily my personal memories Mm -hmm. those are the memories from my that have been passed down in my DNA that are being processed in in my dreams in my dream space yeah I'm, I resonate with this. I recognize this. I'm in a journey right now around stuff that's come up from my ancestral line through my mom that really showed up for me in a dream. So I think that, that, that dreams open us up to so many kinds of input and understanding that we don't receive when we're awake and maybe we can sometimes Mm -hmm. and maybe in other types of altered states, but our dreams are so we we become so available to this, especially I know that you, you do healing work for yourself and for others, and you pay attention to storytelling and to memory. And so it wouldn't surprise me if that space is opening up. Do you feel like you intentionally invited that in or is it taking you by surprise? Um, It's a bit of both, actually. Um, One of the things that I've discovered on my journey is that when you say yes to something or you create an intention, you discover the the depth and the breadth of that yes as you Uh, walk in it. (laughs) It's not necessarily something that you may see beforehand. It's like, oh, oh, so this is, this is what that, that is, or what that looks like, or how that manifests in my space. Like, ah, okay. All right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And as like in our human space, we may reconsider like, Ooh, did I really, did I really want that? Did I really, was this really my intention? And staying true to what I created when I creating it, created it knowing that it came through for a reason. So even in the moments that are uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. walk the path because on the other side, there is liberation. Yes. Yeah. If you can hold to the promise of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, the whole, the reason I wanted to talk to you a few months ago, when we first started talking about having you on the podcast 
was this piece about intergenerational connection and especially where stories and like that mentorship relationship can, can be lost and has been lost in a lot of cases feels Mm -hmm. like such a piece of not just personal healing to me, but social healing. Yeah. Repairing that, that rift between the generations. And so I want to ask you how you see what you're doing in the context of the three stories of our time. And this is a way that Joanna Macy has described the different stories human beings can see themselves as living within right now. Mm -hmm. You might be living in all three. I know I'm living in all three at different moments, but have my preference for how to look at the time we're living in. The three, three stories being business as usual, you know, carry on. You're supposed to think about how to make money and hopefully just continue to grow and get more and get ahead and everything will continue as it has been for centuries on a track of progress, always getting better. Human ingenuity will just keep solving problems and business as usual. We can keep going the way we've been doing it. And then there's a story of the great unraveling where a lot of us are looking around at the human pain and suffering, the ecological crisis, and just seeing how everything is falling apart. And the third story is that we're at a moment of a great turning where humanity is shifting in all kinds of ways to transform our way of being human and having human society to something that's life-sustaining for all people and for the whole web of living systems that allows us to exist on earth. So I have my sense of how what you're doing is a piece of that, but I wanted to, to name those three stories for you too, and just hear if you relate to that, that idea of the three stories, and if there's a place in that, that you, that you find yourself. Hmm. Okay. So of the three stories, I remember two. Okay. The great unraveling yeah. and the turning season. What was the first one? Well, you can just forget about it if you want to, because we probably should, but it's called business as usual. Oh yeah. Um, it's so funny. Cause as, as it relates, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in two. So the unraveling, which is, it's the unraveling of business as usual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so really just so many, so much as I like seeing and witnessing all that has moved in the shadows or moved in the darkness coming to light and those stories and those, those spaces, they like, the way they land is horrific. Mm -hmm. Like the native children that were sent to the boarding school that they were then buried under. Mm. Like, ooh. Yeah, it's horrific. Ooh. Yeah. And just the, the world of human trafficking. And I'm, it, it, wow. Wow. And the George Floyd plain sight, mm-hmm. light of day, mm-hmm. disregarded. Countless others. He's not the only one before or after, but just it's confronting in the space of the unraveling. Yet there is a reason all of these horrific experiences are 
stepping into the light of day. Yeah. The unraveling is, is quite the experience to be with. Yet the turning season is like the stars of the night sky. Like it's not, there's darkness and there's also light. Mm-hmm. And each of, each of those stars shines, shines their brightest, yet our perception of them may be different. But they're lighting our way. And so for me, that speaks to the light worker in me and the light worker in every single human being for those who have chosen that path and walked that path with integrity and for those who are just beginning to awaken and for those who may still be asleep, yet there's a rumbling happening within them. And so in this moment, I stand in in two worlds, the unraveling and being like being with my personal experience in the space of seeing all that's unraveling, all that is, all that light is now touching where it previously was shadowed or darkened in those spaces. Yeah. Um, Wow. (laughs) And also sitting with it, like to be able to sit with the unraveling in a way that you can ask the ascending questions instead of why, like, why now? Why did this happen then? More like, okay, what is this showing me? What is this teaching me? What is there for me to, through witnessing this experience come to light, what is it that I must be present to within myself that was previously foreshadowed? And what is it that I must be mindful of as I journey on? Powerful questions. Well, thank you for that beautiful visualization there of being within the unraveling and watching the light hit things that it couldn't hit before and, and of the stars in the sky and the light that's, that's coming through in that way. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to share a little bit more about your story or any part of your family's story and how you got to where you are right now with causing legacy and thinking about stories and relationship between different generations and honoring our elders? Yeah. um, Actually, um, this week, this week, I received a a box from an uncle and aunt of mine. And I had no idea. They didn't tell me they were sending this. And so I got the box and I'm like, what is this? And it's all padded and wrapped up really tightly. So I am unraveling this thing like, (laughs) okay. And I'm laughing because I was like, you know, that your family works in the medical field when they send you a box that says personal monitoring device for medical professionals with a lot number and an expiration. (laughs) And it, it, you can tell it's been used for other things, but you're like, yeah, okay. Um, so I unwrap the first box. I, I take off the brown paper and I'm like, okay, I look at this medical box and I'm like, all right, this is weird. So still got to open it. So I'd like slice open the tape, open that there's another box inside. It's like padded. And there's another box, a smaller slender box inside. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And so as I open, I can get, I have to slice tape again. Um, so slice tape again, and I open one end of it and I go to put my hand in and I feel something sharp. Now I put a finger in, not a hand. And I did not cut myself to be clear, but I was like, wait, is this my grandfather's knife? 
I, and so I go to open the, I was like, well, this is obviously not the side for me to open it from. Let me go to the other side. So I finally open it up and it is my grandfather's knife. Mm. And it is in this particular knife, like it's a, <laughs> honestly, Poppy used it for everything. So I call my maternal grandfather Poppy. That was the nickname I gave him when I was like two or three and it stuck. And all of my cousins call him that Mm -hmm. even some of our friends. Um, And so I'm sitting with this knife in my hand and I'm like, and I just like the memories start to flood back of when I've watched him use this knife. Now, Poppy used this knife anywhere from cutting an apple and eating it to any like using it as a utility knife when he's out in his garage, like making something. So to whittle out wood or to, um, or if he's trying to, I don't know, he's like using in in the garage for other, for non-food things, to be clear. Tearing open well-wrapped packages. That part. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just, I sat with it and I was like, wow, of all the weeks that this comes in, it's this week. And the reason it's not so much the knife that's important to me, it's the, it's the person who's attached, whose energy is attached to that knife. Mm -hmm. I remember, so my grandfather's birthday is September 21st and my birthday is the 24th. And so for one year, the year I was born, I was his birthday gift. (laughs) And so um, since I've moved here to California and with my family being on the East Coast, Poppy had, of course, he'd gotten older and he wasn't as mobile as he once was. And my mom was taking care of him. And so the year that he turned 90, I was like, I'm feeling called to go home and just be with, be with him on this milestone of a birthday. Um, And so I did, I flew home and I really, my intention was simply to just be with family in the space, Um, celebrating my birthday, celebrating Poppy's birthday, um, and just observing. And so when I first got there, cause for whatever reason, that three hour difference kicks my butt every time uh-huh. I fell asleep at like 6 PM uh-huh. <laughs> and I got up at like two in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep. I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? But I, I, and at that time in my grandparents' home, my grandmother was sleeping upstairs. My mom was sleeping upstairs. And I was also in the guest bedroom upstairs. My grandfather being that he wasn't able to navigate the stairs. He, we made um, a bedroom for him downstairs. And so that's where he was. And so at about 2.30, I heard him call out, hello, hello. And I didn't hear anybody answer or anybody getting up. And so I was, and I, I knew before I got there, my mother had pulled like three all nighters (laughs) so that she could care for both him and my grandmother. And I was like, okay, nope, mom, let mom sleep. Let me go downstairs. So I went downstairs and I was like, hi, puppy. Do you need something? He said, no, I just, I just wanted to know that someone was there. Hmm. And I was like, oh. I was like, well, I'm here, Poppy. He's like, okay. And in this moment, there's like a, there's a pause. There's a pause in our communication. There's a pause in just the the moment. Because what I realized is for the first time in a very long time, it's just me and my grandfather. And I was like, huh. And as a recently, I'd been asking my mom questions about, the family. Cause I was like, I know there's more family than 
than I've grown up with. I just don't know them or don't know even where to begin looking. What I, I was like, let me see. Let me see about asking Poppy questions. Because that year he had a cousin who had turned 104. Wow. And um, my aunt and my cousin had gone up to celebrate um, celebrate her in New York. And I was like, and I wasn't able to go. So I was like, hmm, let me ask other questions. And so I began just asking Poppy questions about family, asking what him, what he remembered, anything he didn't remember. I didn't, you know, I didn't push. I was like, okay, that's fine. And all of a sudden this whole conversation started to open up to where I was like, wait a minute, Poppy, hold on. I need to go get pen and paper because I'm not going to remember all of this. And so it started with just asking him about family members, asking him, hey, when you were a kid, what cousins did you play with? What were their names? What were their parents' names? And when was the last time you saw them? It started with that. And at some point we, we progressed into his journey um, because my mother's family is from Trinidad. And so I started asking questions about what was happening in Trinidad at the time that he chose the United States to move to. And for about two hours, we were sitting and I was asking more and more questions. And I asked him, are you, are you happy with the way that your life has turned out? And what he said was yes and no. And I was like, huh. I was like, okay, well, why yes? And he said, because he got to create a better life for his family here than he was able to foresee in Trinidad. And no, because he had plans. He had plans of things he wanted to do here in the States that he didn't, that he didn't fulfill on Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, And I was like, oh, huh. And as we completed the conversation, two hours later, as my mother walks down the stairs half asleep, (laughs) um, I really got present to the commitment, his commitment to create a better life for his family, which led to me being born here, first generation for my mom's side of the family, being born here in the States. Mm -hmm. And also the sacrifice that came with that commitment. Yeah. Because in Trinidad, he had a daughter. He had one daughter that still lived in Trinidad who had already had a daughter. And since he'd lived here in the States, he'd only gone back once to meet his great granddaughter. She was by that time when we were having this conversation, 18. Oh, wow. And I was like, ooh, okay. I get, I got present to what he gave up mm-hmm. so that I could be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I still have that notebook to this day. It is now filled with many more family tree notes. <laughs> oh, cool. But it's all the notes from that original, every, what started that notebook was my original conversation with my grandfather. That is so gorgeous. Just the thought that you walked down the stairs in the middle of the night and that he even said, I was just checking if someone was there and it unfolded into this whole conversation about what really could have been forgotten. I mean, you, you asking these questions about his childhood and his whole life and things that he might never have told you if that, if that moment hadn't happened and what, what that's opened up for you. Yeah. And so I've discovered more family than since he's passed, I've discovered more family than I ever knew existed Uh I wanted to trace back and discover the legacy that had had been left for me to carry on 
Mm-hmm. And what have you found? Do you have a sense of, of what you're carrying on? Oh, this is the first time I've, I've been asked that question. Um, hmm. My family was creative um, and in the most ingenious ways. And their devotion to create, um, create a legacy or create um, generational wealth that could be passed down through for generations to come. Um, that was in fact created and the, and although we are spread around the world, I've discovered my family is global. Uh (laughs) Um, there's so many, no matter how far we may be, there are so many similarities that we still have. And so it's, so where, where I had thought previously, like, ah, it's broken, Mm. it's broken. It's in pieces. What I've discovered is actually it's not Mm. it. That's only in my perception because when we do connect and when we do come together, (laughs) even though it's, it's the first time we maybe speaking in this, in this way, the connection is still there. Yeah. Beautiful. So what's your, what's your vision for causing legacy and connecting to more possibilities like this, you know, with, with storytelling and wisdom from our elders and realizing how interconnected we are What's moving you to, to create this? The gap I see between generations Mm -hmm. and what, and in, in the BIPOC community, a lot of our traditions are oral tradition or oral traditions. We have begun to write them down more and more, but honoring the ways in which they were, their oral traditions. And so causing legacy is a bridge for connecting generations because it's in that bridge that stories are shared, wisdom is shared, knowledge is shared, insights are shared such that the things that we can take the lessons that the elder generations have learned and apply those, if we choose, we do have a choice, mm-hmm. um, but apply those in our life, thereby launching us to a different, um, it's almost like a springboard. And so it's a springboard forward into what we're creating and possibly avoiding some of the, some of the lessons that they've had. Like we get to, we get the gift of their lessons. And if we choose to listen, we don't have to experience the same, the same um, pain point experiences so that we get the same lessons. Right, right. And I, you know, listening to you talk about your grandfather and all the sacrifices he made so that his family could have a better life. You know, what a, what a gift in return to say, I want to hear your stories and I want to learn from your life and, and actually receive all those gifts too, that can help me have the life that you dream of. Right. Because if we, if we look back, you know, we have parents, grandparents, ancestors who wished for us to exist and to have a good life. Right. And, and mm-hmm. did so many things, made so many choices, maybe not every single one of our ancestors, but so many of them made choices to make things possible for us. Mm-hmm. And it's really sticking with me, what you said about how we can forget children or people that might, um, we might not 
relate to as our own, right? Or forget our elders. And, and what a gift it is on both sides when we make an effort to remember and to listen. And it's also like listening for, so I know for me as a kid, I spend a lot of time with my grandparents and many of those stories were repeated. Uh-huh. Like, oh my gosh. I could just, I could speak the story for you. Like there's yeah. no point. Um, but there are those, there are those moments and those sayings that I was like, you know, I get it. And so like one of the things my grandfather used to say is if you will not hear me, you will feel. Now, in the moment, I thought that meant I was like, I was getting a whooping because uh-huh. it we 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 had those days. Yeah. But what I've witnessed in life is I was like, oh, if you're not listening for guidance, <laughs> you will definitely move through an experience yeah. that has you feel the mm-hmm. things that you would not listen to. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, oh, so here I thought. It was just the child thing. I was like, no, okay. So the one I remember my grandmother saying, and it was interesting because I felt like she, in the moment that she said it, I felt like she was scolding me. And it like took me a moment. Um, but her, she said, never say you can't. You can do anything that you put your mind to anything at all, as long as you can envision it, you can do it. Good advice. <laughs> and, and so for that, I've realized, I was like, oh, that's been a, that's been a guiding principle for me. If I can see myself in it, if I can envision it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. That's a um, lot of, a lot of um, faith in you that she's demonstrating. I mean, really in anyone, in, in mm-hmm. all of us, but why do you think it felt like a scolding at first? Um, because at that time I had just, we had just moved in with my grandparents. My mother, my sister, and I um, had just moved in with my grandparents shortly after my parents got divorced and I was still getting to know like the world of three generations living under one, one roof. Uh-huh. Cause that was a foreign concept for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and all of the different adults to navigate granny mm-hmm. had one set of rules. Mom had another poppy had another and don't apply one one person's rules to another because that mm, that that would lead down a road it's of its own uh-huh um and so the tone that she used with me was firm and usually that came with Elisa why'd you do that like I'm getting in trouble okay yeah and so that was that was the that was the so I attributed that tone to me getting in trouble And in that moment, when I, I was frustrated with something, what did she say? She said, what's wrong? And I was like, I can't do it. And it was almost like she, she, she wanted to nip it in the bud in that moment, but it definitely like her tone. I was like, wait, am I being scolded? Yeah. Yeah. But after she said, you can do anything you put your mind to, anything at all. And then she walked away. And so I'm, but I'm standing at the fridge like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. (laughs) And so I went back to whatever it is I was working on with just a new, fresh perspective. Now, interestingly enough, I don't remember what I was working on. I just remembered that, that moment with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Well, and to, I mean, probably you remember it because of that tone and that it was sort of unexpected and confusing, right? These things make such an impression and mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I can't think of an exact example, but I feel like I've seen that before this almost forceful, like, yes, you can, you know, the determination on the part of the parent or the grandparent to be like, I can't let you limit yourself. 
and believe that you can't. Like, I need you to know this is possible for you. I believe in you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's so funny because as you, the, what's sticking out for me is that was my grandmother's way of saying, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. I've never thought about that experience with like, oh, and my, my relationship with my grandmother for a lot of years was a very mixed bag of, uh, encounters and moments. Um, and not, not always, not always the, uh, rainbows and butterflies that I would have loved it to be. Uh-huh. Um, and so looking back and like with that, it's almost like she charged me in that moment. Mm-hmm. She charged me with, I believe in you. I need you to believe in you. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. So you were saying that uh, a lot of these, a lot of your interest in, in reaching out for stories and wisdom in causing legacy is because so many of the traditions in BIPOC communities are oral traditions and maybe not written down. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if there's anything else you want to share about that. What, what calls you particularly to work within oral traditions or within BIPOC communities or? For me, within the, so as a, as a kid, I went to six different schools. The school that I graduated from, I was one of five or six black people at this particular school. And the, some of the things that I witnessed, and it's not even only in that high school, that's just one clear picture. And one, I say one of five or six out of maybe a student body of, or a graduating class of high 200s or low 300s. I can't quite remember. It's been a long time. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, five or six was a very small percentage. Very, very small percentage. Yeah. Um, and then just looking at my experiences of growing up, having like my home life is, um, is more of the, the immigrant life. So there's a certain standard that regardless of what school allows, it is not happening at home. Uh Um, and there's also like in school, like the stories or the comments that are made and, the, for me, it's been the experiences of growing up as a black woman and not really finding or seeing where I belong. Yeah, I can fit into a bunch of spaces, but that true sense of belonging, just as I am, just as I speak, just as some of the Trinidadian dialect words that I use, belong. Mm-hmm. and not having being that we move so much what I I think what our in our last in in when we moved to my last high school I began to create the village of support that I needed because for whatever reason the capacity of those that were around me didn't necessarily have the capacity to fulfill a need that I had or guidance that I was looking for, or even just the ability to just listen when I wanted to share without judgment, without like interjecting, just listen. And therapy was not what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so as I've after, after college, as I started to dive deeper into my journey in self-development work, personal development work, 
um, inner child work, ancestral work. As I've as I've journeyed in that space, I've discovered tools, communities, and like greater self-acceptance through doing the work. And the one part that I was like, you know, I really wish I had someone in my space, in my corner. And what I think about is as a, as a teen, if I just had one person that encouraged me to go after my dreams, that would have made all the difference. Mm-hmm. It would have made all the difference. Yeah. In my experience of, of life, of people, mm. of family. Yeah. And so as I've, as I've done the work around, I would say specifically maybe my, my experiences growing up, I came to a space that I was able to step into a mentorship, uh, not a mentorship role, but more of an advocacy role for teens and youth in the foster care system. Mm. And so I became a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate for children, teens, and youth in the LA, foster, LA County foster care system. And through that experience, I, I shared stories that I was like, wait, what? I have not shared these stories with anybody, but I'm sharing it with you and I'm sharing with you my experience and I'm sharing with you what I know now about that experience for you to then make an informed choice about what, what my, what you may have been going through. And when I say you, I'm referring to the, um, to the teens that I worked with, because Uh as, as a CASA, I, I chose to work with teens and youth. And so I was a CASA for four and a half years. And over those four and a half years, I've seen some amazing, beautiful things. And I've also seen some painful things, Mm -hmm. but it was the development that I needed it was like the training that I needed to know that, okay, I can, I want to serve teens and youth on a broader scale, uh-huh. sharing what I know and also providing a platform, like sharing a platform with elders to share their insights and their wisdom and what they've learned on their journey and share their story. And so there's one one experience that I had with a, with one of the teen girls that I worked with, um, that was just, it was an affirmation that she got exactly what she needed from me. Mm. And so I picked her up one day, we were going to head out, um, and go go to, I forget, we were going out in LA somewhere and then we were going to go to dinner. And so we're out and about, but when I pick her up, she's got kind of a, like a funky attitude. And I'm like, what's happening? Where's, where, where's the girl that I know? And so she shares with me that she's having an experience with um, some of the, some of her peers from she went that she knew from childhood. And I was like, okay. And so I ended up sharing a story with her from college that I was like, Ooh, I haven't shared this story ever. Uh And what it was, I was like, well, I get what you're going through. I get it. I was like, I worked um, in a nursing home with women who most of them were my mother's age yet we're doing the same job, making the same amount. And the women, and there were three women who were closer to my age. I was like, but my experience with those three women felt like torture. Mm. They wouldn't, 
help me if I needed help with a patient or a resident. Um, every once in a while they would, but it was very just, they would talk bad about me, about the fact that I was, they felt that I was better than them because I had no children and I was going to college and I was working. Um, it's what, and they just, their communication, what they said really spoke to their perception of me. Mm-hmm. Well, I can, I can say this now sitting in this moment, as I recall. Um, but at the time it was hurtful. Cause I was like, what the hell? Like, okay, so I may not have any children. I may be in college and I'm working. I was like, there, there were like details that I was like, this is not easy. Mm -hmm. But here I am at work and I'm having to do and move. Like I'm, I'm having to fulfill my responsibilities by myself because the people that are supposed to be on my team are choosing not to support or not to help me. Uh huh. And so I share this story with her and I was like, in my head, I'm like, yo, I haven't talked about this story in forever. I was like, hmm. And what I shared with her, I was like, they used to talk so bad about me. I'd go home and I would cry. Mm. Sometimes I would cry myself to sleep. Mm. I was like, but what I know now is the only reason I cried when I got home was because some part of me believed that what they were saying was true. Mm -hmm. I was like, because if, if I did not believe them, I would, it would be like water off a duck's back. It wouldn't phase me. I was like, but some part of me believed that what they were saying was true. And so that particular day, I said, okay. After I told her that story, I was like, so here's what we're going to do. I was like, we're going to go to dinner and we're going to create affirmations for you so that you are centered and grounded in who you are. So no matter what anybody else says, you know who you are. And she was like, okay, I'm open to that. So we go to dinner and I pull up like this emotional pie chart. Um, so it's, it has like happy, sad, angry, in like the clo- the inner circle. And then as it expands out, it has more words to describe those particular things. And so I notice angry, sad, and I was like, okay, nope, not those. I was like, we're going to stay on this side of the circle. I was like, so in this section here, it was like, I want you to read through the words and read through the words and only pick the ones that give you a buzz in your belly. If it doesn't give you a buzz in your belly, that's not, that's not the affirmation for you. And so she started to pick them and we wrote them in a notes uh, app on her phone. And, and then our food came and she was like, oh, I like this. Like, Great. And so I had her, so we finished dinner. She wrote out her affirmations. We got in the car. I said, okay, now here's what you're going to do. I want you to, so I took a picture of her phone with my phone and I was like, okay, now I want you to read them because I know you live in a house with a bunch of people. And as much as I want you to do mirror work, that may not, that may not work out. (laughs) So I was like, okay, so we're going to record it. And instead of you, um, like reading it to yourself in the mirror, I just want you to listen to it as many times a day as you can. And she's like, okay. So she starts to read it and she, like, I can tell like her energy, she starts to brighten. And I was like, great. 
And so she's like, all right, I'm done. And she goes to like pull the handle of my car to get it. I was like, wait, 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 come back. We not finished. We not finished. <laughs> I was like, one more time. She was like, one more time, what? And so I pulled down the visor, opened the, the opening so that she could see the mirror. And I yeah. said, now I want you to read the affirmations that you created. I want you to speak them to yourself in the mirror. She read the first one. She got halfway through the second one and she took a look at me. She's like, miss, I'm going to cry. And I said, and that's okay. You are safe here. This is why we're doing it here in the car where it's just the two of us. I've got tissue if you need it. Mm. And so she read through the affirmations that day. She, (laughs) she got out of the car and literally skipped to the house. (laughs) I was like, okay, great. Whatever happened, um, she chose at some point, um, Ooh, I would say six to nine months later, she chose to end our Casa Casa relationship. Mm -hmm. So I no longer was her, her advocate, um, as delegated by the court. And that was fine. And so I keep the same phone number uh, that I give to any of the CASA teams that I work with. And I tell them, if there's anything you need, if there's anything you want to talk about, I'm always here. You can always call. But the way that it ended was abrupt. And I was like, oh my gosh, my heart. Like, ah, I just, I like, did I even do anything? Did anything stick? I poured everything I had into this person. Ah. And so two months go by and it's September and I'm preparing for, um, I'm preparing to go on a retreat um, with a, uh, with an Engano shaman um, in Colombia. And the Friday before I leave, I get a text message and the text message says after, after two months of no communication, the text message says, Hey, miss, I still love you. And I still say my affirmations. Mm. I cried when I saw that text message. Yeah. Because what I got was she got everything she needed from me. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else stuck, she knows exactly who she is and how to tap into that. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, my work is complete for this moment with her. Yeah. And so being able to expand that impact and that contribution to more BIPOC teens and youth who are just missing that one person Mm -hmm. in their corner saying, you can do this. You got this. It's everything to have that person in your corner. And you know what I love about that text that she sent you also is that I don't know why it took her two months, you know, or what, why the ending was abrupt, but she knew that it would mean something to you to know that she still loves you and still says her affirmations that, that she wanted you to know. Yeah. You know, and like, like you said at the very beginning, sometimes you might forget to slow down and check in with your elders and. I think that probably happens for every generation, right? Like, oh, <laughs> oh, right. You know, like you're, you're her elder. And she's like two months later, you know, I should let her know. <laughs> yeah. She must know that she meant something to you and wants you to know you meant something to her and just like a two sentence text, you know, but that's. Yeah. I, I definitely took a snapshot of the text. Cause I was like, yeah, keep that one. <laughs> I was like, okay, if ever I'm having a day of doubt, yeah, this right here will get me right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And yeah, I mean, it's a good reminder because she might not have sent it, but still felt all that, you know? And so like, if there are people that we doubt, I don't know if I'd made any positive difference there, 
or maybe I did and they just never sent the text. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, before we close, is there any last things you'd like to share with listeners? And also, will you share how people can find you online and connect with you? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that we do at Causing Legacy is we introduce um, BIPOC teens and youth to say, uh, to sound baths and sound healing. Cool. And so that's a really beautiful experience. And as we continue to curate um, different workshops and classes, those will be on our website, www.causinglegacy.org. And how people can connect with me. Um, So either through at Causing Legacy on all of the social media platforms or um, at Annalisa Valerie um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, great. I'll link to all of that and make it really easy. Well, thank you so, so much, Annalisa. You are most welcome. Thank you so much, Leilani, for creating this space. Thank you for listening. You may have noticed that I didn't ask Annalisa, as I have asked my previous guests and some of the upcoming recorded ones. I didn't ask her this question of what's one thing you might invite listeners to do. So I'm going to add an invitation for you here to take note, to take stock of the forgotten or sometimes forgotten, especially in the generations before or after you and reach out to someone in some way, whatever feels true to you. All right. Thank you again so much for being here and listening. I would truly love to hear from you. What comes up for you thinking about intergenerational connection words of wisdom from your grandparents, the importance of relating to generations older and younger than ourselves, what's hard about that. You can leave a comment at turningseason.com episode five, or I'm happy to connect with you on Instagram where I am at Leilani underscore underscore Navar. That's L-E-I-L-A-N-I two underscores Navar, N-A-V-A-R. I will be back with your next episode on the new moon. Until then, thank you again for listening and for all the ways you play your part.